Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. I have to say, it's the oddest way to develop a sitcom you can imagine. You know, you have a great big open call, a cattle call Mm. of writers. And then you winnow them down, you choose your final bunch, and you send them off in twosomes to come up with a premise and a pilot script. And then you hope for the best. It's... I've never heard of a sitcom being developed in quite that way. It's a brave new experiment, isn't it? It really was. (laughs) I wonder how it ends up. (laughs) How did it end up? Oh, I know, really badly. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jeff Outman, and I was part of that brave new experiment. An experiment that eventually ended up creating the worst sitcom ever made. Melody Rules. That sitcom is a failure I've struggled with ever since the show was put on TV for all of New Zealand to see 25 years ago. So now I'm piecing it together, bit by painful bit, to see if I can identify the reasons it all went wrong. Because, to be honest, over the years, I've been dogged by the idea that perhaps it was... Maybe a little bit entirely my fault. In the last episode, we heard about the brutal and cutthroat way in which I and the other surviving writers were chosen. Well, once we had made it through the sitcom writing version of The Hunger Games, ten people, five teams of two, remained. Each team then developed our own sitcom premise, with one of those premises ultimately being crowned the next great New Zealand sitcom. First off, Team 1, the two Daves, Dave Horn and Dave Geary. Me and Dave Horn were working on one called Home Ground. That was set in a cafe, you know, different characters. Solo dad, runs a cafe, stroppy daughter. And we were pretty adamant as well to set this in Wellington because Wellington's cafe culture is far better than Auckland's, at least at the time that we were writing. I'm not sure, again, what it was like now, but there was a real community feel to it. Team two, Laurie Dungy and Jim McClarty. It was called Chalk and Cheese. It was about a Pakia guy and a Maori woman who were married. And so it was their domestic life. And she had all these relatives up north and they'd be constantly coming in and visiting. And and he was this like single white Pakia guy who was like an only child. And so for him, it was just like, what the? Team three was Catherine Burnett and Dominic Shaheen. Ours was Citizen Jane. The premise was a famous somebody had been in prison got out of prose. And then she has to do like a thousand hours of community service so she does it in a police station. Team four, me and my writing partner Mihira and I had absolutely no recollection of what our idea actually was. Do you remember what the project that we had was? Ours was actually called Stag at Bay about a little you know New Zealand seaside town and I can remember it had a post office pub 
And one side, the woman who ran it used to come over and have a different name. And then when she was doing the pub, she would come over to that account, that counter and have a different name as well. That's what I remember the most. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to watch that. <laughs> Me too. And finally, the creators of the original Melody Rules, Matt Donaldson and Kate Ward-Smythe. Their pilot was called Flat Out was about a sister who was forced to look after her younger brother after their mother leaves them. I think in my head I went, well, perhaps the best thing for Matt and I to do is for me to take my authentic experience of feeling like I'd raised myself and put it in a family environment where he can bring his experience of being a young teenage boy uh, into the overall character arc. I actually enjoyed writing with Kate. There were some conflicts going on, but it was adults-only material. So you and Kate were battling each other and whipping out this very adult sitcom. Yeah, and it was good um, because I was a kid and she had more adult experience than I did, but I'd seen more life Mm -hmm. of this particular idea because it was right in front of me. After polishing our pilot scripts over a two-week period, we handed them in and waited. But in the interim, two things happened that would change my life forever. Even though I felt like I'm so privileged to be in this group of people, and here I am, oh my gosh, I'm so excited I can hardly breathe. Kate Ward-Smythe. There was a little voice inside me going, this feels wrong The process feels wrong. It doesn't feel like we're writing about what it is to be a New Zealander. You know, I was having some, a little bit of conflict with Kate. Kate's writing partner, Matt Donaldson, who was just 17 at the time. I was feeling out of my depth as a kid and amongst adults because it had suddenly gone from fun and creative to... The politics. To business and politics. And you'd you'd have no experience in that at all. The idea which I was told was great. And we want it from you. Basically, I felt the pressure come down and I was like, oh man, I'm out. This is what you're doing to what I felt ownership of. I was just like, I want to do things my way. That's my story. Matt left. And then I got the opportunity um, to become involved in this thing called Christmas in the Park. And I realised very quickly that I couldn't, continue to write uh, on Melody Rules and be part of Christmas in the Park mm-hmm. and I made the decision to pull out of the sitcom experience and go off and do Christmas in the Park. Kate left too. This is the way I remember it. Mihira and I got told this is a good news, bad news kind of thing. And we're like, oh yeah. And they were like, so your um, you know, school project or whatever the hell it was is gone, dead. We hate it. Oh, But we like you guys. And we're like, okay, so what do we do? Have to come up with a new concept? They went, no need. <laughs> Jump on this. Here's Kate and Matt's one. <laughs> oh. Um, therefore, me leaving Melody Rolls is the reason that you had uh, this revolting experience. Sorry. So you inherited this project that wasn't yours. How did you feel about it? It was weird. It was completely freaking weird because we didn't know the characters at all except for, you know how we all used to cross-pollinate and try and joke up each other's Mm, ideas mm. and stuff. So I'd paid as much attention to it as I'd paid to your project, to your project. And, you know, I'm just thinking about me and Mihira got to get through. Me and Mihira got to get through. And then we get given this thing and we're like, what the hell? That is so odd, Jeff, that you ended up with this 
project that wasn't yours that you didn't really have an affinity for. Yes, it was odd, very odd. But by this stage, I'd put in too much time and effort to say no. So Mihira and me took on Flat Out, changed the name to Melody Rules, and added in a bunch of our own ideas, characters, and jokes. But the thing is, no one told us why our idea wasn't wanted. And no one told us why Kate and Matt's idea was wanted. Uh, there was no communication at all, which is a fast track to failure. We were in the dark, so we just wrote. And our newly revised Melody Rules was eventually handed in, along with the other concepts from the other writing teams. Then we all waited to see who would win in the Battle of the Sitcoms. There was a night, and Catherine, you might remember this, and we all got the call up. The decision's been made. New Zealand's on air, TV3, everyone's looked at the pilots. We're going to tell you guys tonight which one it's going to be. Everyone come up to TV3 at 9pm at night. Do you remember that night? Yeah. I remember going there for that announcement. Yes. Well, I remember that Jeff Stephen made the announcement... And I remember him saying that there were three of them, I think maybe Gary Brown and a third person who were all in on it. They all had copies of the final scripts. They mixed them up, shuffled them, so they read them in no particular order. Everybody read them in a different order. They'd ripped the title pages off so they didn't know who was involved with what. And then they all read them, and they all came to the same decision, and it was Melody Rules. And we all went, well, that's the stupidest one of them all. You know, that one makes no sense. And thus began the uh, ideology of, that doesn't make any sense. I just thought it was a really tired, ordinary concept, and it, it had nothing really special or uniquely Kiwi about it. And so it was a little generic, and I think generic... Is, is the death of humour. And it was just kind of... Huh, disappointment. And this is probably the first inkling I got that things are not going to go well, uh, was the selection of melody rules. That said, I swallowed whatever integrity I had left and said, uh, there's some stuff to still to learn. And there was. I mean, uh, to be able to write for a network now, OK, that's something else that I need to... a dialogue that needed to be learned. It's a little unfortunate that the network itself had never gone through its own course to say, this is how you appraise situation <laughs> comedies. That, I believe, was a large missing hole uh, in the education. OK, now you know how Melody Rules came to be chosen. So I think it's time to get a little pointy-headed. I'm Dr Tricia Dunleavy and I work at uh, Victoria University of Wellington, uh, where I teach television. I had a chat to Dr Dunleavy to find out more about this time period. Who were TV3 in 1994, and why did they want a sitcom? This was a time when New Zealand only had three free-to-air channels. TV1 and 2, united under the banner of TVNZ, and the newbie, an infant on the scene, TV3. You know, we were kind of, I think, really, really overdue for an alternative voice the comedy they could do, the, the younger sort of demographic they were sort of aiming for. Because if you think about it, competition was being anticipated by both of the networks. Both of them were crazily making uh, local content because they were going to use this content to compete with each other. They knew that the battle 
for the hearts and minds of New Zealanders would be partly about local content. So, obviously, um, TV3 was taking, I think, a, a bit of a risk. Maybe it underestimated how big a risk it was, but really, TV3 was on the rise at this point. You know, it was actually in a good space. It had been through some trouble, but um, by 1994, I think that TV3 were in a position to take a few risks, and they clearly did with Melody Rules. Come on to the So, in a nutshell, local content was desirable, but local comedy was risky. And both the anticipation of a local hit and the fear of a local failure fell to me, because I was now the creator of a show tasked with making the country laugh. A show that Mihira and myself had slaved over, crafted, and made our own. Melody Rules, not your idea, but your Came baby in. that you've raised, adopted and raised, or yep. should be dumped on your doorstep and you raised. A cuckoo, and, let's say. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yep. And so you've raised this thing, and then they retooled it. My memory is that at some point they decided they wanted a show geared towards 14-year-olds. But my memory is that we didn't find that out till well after we'd been working on it for, like, a really long time. What? We're, we're writing a, a kid's show. I mean, and ironically, there you go, none of us had kids. None of us. We were all these writers. No one actually... Oh, no, sorry. Mihira, she had two boys. That was it. She was the only one that had kids. It's just started off as me going into this Situation Comedy Workshop saying, at the end of this, we're going to be writing a primetime adult 20s, 30s character uh, Situation Comedy that's going to rock New Zealand's world. And what they picked was a 3.30, 4.30 children's show that was going to be moved into a primetime show with a new TV network that is, is going to be careful of its baby. Uh, and I thought, yeah. <laughs> they got a significant amount, like a record amount of money from New Zealand on air and they had massive commercial expectations on them. The pressure of like, we've got to get the most bang for our buck. We've got to get ratings. And adults only, by its nature, excludes children and household shoppers with kids. Were you ever given a target demographic? Everyone was our target demographic. And that, exactly. That was the problem. It was so bland. It was so, let's please everybody and end up pleasing nobody. Well, yeah, it was the ultimate shotgun. Is there not a fantastic saying, chase two mowers, catch none? <laughs> Well, now is probably a good time to give you an idea of what Melody Rules was actually about and who the characters actually were. First off, Melody Robbins, the eldest sibling of three. She's left to look after her younger sister and younger brother after their mother leaves them to go on an archaeological dig. Just my luck, this will be Mum saying she can't come home ever. Hello. Mum! You found what? Opportunity of a lifetime. Mum, I haven't had any of a lifetime yet. Melody is the responsible one, the one who makes sure everything is done and the one who worries a lot. Be careful at the concert. Make sure you know where the fire exits are, Zoe, and don't stand too close to the speakers. And leave a tray of breadcrumbs all the way home. <laughs> Sibling number two, Zoe. She's sarcastic, sassy and 
Always grumpy. A fake ID. Zoe, you are pushing your luck. You should know I'm thinking of grounding you. Oh, thinking. That's a first for you, Mel. Then the baby of the Robbins family, Jeff, who is basically never seen without his best mate, Crayfish. Their characters are, well, they're just teenage boys. Oh, Mel, we had the most A1 day. Guess what happened? Dunn here did a bomb in the school swimming heats and absolutely soaked everyone. There's a wasp in my togs. <laughs> anyway, I've got detention for two months. Then Dunner collapsed the shade tarpaulin into the pool. Detention for a month. <laughs> and this is good news? A reckless disregard for public safety got us an invitation to the Gold Brigade. Then there's Melody's best friend, the morally ambiguous party girl, Fiona. Mel? <laughs> Ready for the great escape? Fiona, you're early. Yes, well, I had to bring my holiday washing over. That machine's not working you again. You haven't used that machine since I moved out. Well, the salesman assured me it was fully automatic. <laughs> yes, but you can't just put the washing in. You also have to turn it on. <laughs> and finally, the next-door neighbour, Neville. Always popping in to borrow something, he was the only one gifted a catchphrase. You're decent. You're decent? I bring you good tidings. Kids, come down here. Your mum just rung and said that you sounded a bit upset when she called before, so she's come up with the obvious solution. She's going to come home anyway. Oh, mum's coming back? No, better than that. She's asked me to move in and look after you kids until she comes back. What did you say, Neville? No worries, Mrs R. So those were the pieces we had to play with. But, well, to be honest, when it came down to it, we really didn't know how to play with them. In terms of writers taking responsibility... It would have been great if we had the power to argue, uh, to fight for what we believed in. Uh, sadly, we had a few bricks taken out of us from uh, the producer. So Ross uh, had some certain things that were I viewed as being very... that put the brakes on in terms of exploring what we could do with the show. Ross was such a lovely guy. Everybody loved Ross, and nobody wanted to let Ross down. Ross was the Franklin Delano Roosevelt of television. Everything was positive. Nothing was undoable. Nothing was impossible to Ross. He was an inspiration. Didn't mean he was always right. Ross cut his cloth according to the budget, um, and that meant cutting a lot of cloth. I think even then, too, there were some slightly mixed messages because from the first, I think you and I were trying to write a typical... American-style comedy sitcom. Yeah. And um, as it went on, we tried to actually get a little bit of crazy stuff in there. We had a beat about whenever Melody came into a room. I remember this so well. The um, television would be on, and she'd just walk through, and there'd be, um, you did this, actually, you were very good at it, a jo uh, David Attenborough voice saying, sand, mountains of sand, <laughs> sand as far as the eye can see. And things like that. But uh, I think Rod Jennings said, um, no, she wasn't going to be watching television. So, yes. Yes, heaven forbid someone watches television on television. <laughs> That's right. It could lead to anything. No teenage issues, you know, no drugs, sex. Um, couldn't name the city the show was based in. No kissing, no no relationships. She sort of couldn't have a boyfriend. And, you know, it was all just kind of like, ugh. Melody not wanting to kiss, I believe there was one episode. Was that your episode? I, I think I, tr I think we tried to get her laid, and by laid, I mean kiss some dude, but right, that right. wasn't allowed. Yeah, and I remember Ross being very... 
circumspect about that particular moment, saying, how about we, t- <laughs> how about we take it in a slightly different direction? How about if Melanie wasn't to kiss somebody, but I don't know, they were to dance or something metaphorical like this. And I'm going, oh, I don't know what show I'm writing anymore. The alarm bells went off for me when me and Mihira went into Ross's office and he said, I want you guys to be the lead writers. Yep. And I'm like... No, 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 no. Remember, it was head writers, and we yep. were on the table, and he went, yep. no, 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 you're not running the table. You're writing the first two episodes. And I'm like, I thought the deal was yeah. whoever's you show You were going to run the show. That's when I knew it was wrong. But I'd been working for months yeah. for no money. For no money. Yeah, no, that must have been awful. Yeah, it was horrible. I guess the distance that began opening up between what I thought we imagined we were doing and what actually seemed to be happening. And you know what? That's a good lesson in general, that, yeah, often your expectations and the reality of what you end up doing or being able to do are vastly different. Going into this process, we all thought we were going to be writing the next Seinfeld or Fraser or Friends. So as we were learning the rules of sitcom writing, we were sort of doing it with these examples in our heads. And when we were asked to come up with concepts, we developed them with these examples in our heads. There was no communication, and what we thought was going to happen turned out not to happen at all. If you're going into something thinking one way and somebody else is thinking about it in a different way, then you'd better talk about it and figure out which road you're going to take. Because if you don't, you're going to fail. Every time we picked up the ball and started to run with it, the goalposts shifted. We developed concepts that, unbeknownst to us, weren't what the broadcaster wanted. What we thought was going to be a smart sitcom was turned into a kid's show. And once my concept had been chosen, I found out I wasn't going to even be running the writer's table. This lack of communication set us up for failure. It left a table of writers floundering, even though we just kept picking ourselves up and telling ourselves that we'd just do the best with what we had. But what we had had morphed so much that everyone was confused. None of us knew what we were writing anymore. There was no common vision. But despite this, there was one small bonus that I did get out of the process. One very small, you could even say miserly, silver lining cut from the producer's cloth. I found out that there's this thing called a creator's fee that is paid to the person who created the work every episode, even if they don't write a single word of the scripts. So by this time, I was out of Melody Rolls and I rang up uh, Ross Jennings and said, Hi, it's Kate Ward-Smythe here. Uh, So you may remember me. I was part of the sitcom process. You chose Melody Rolls. That's great. Thank you very much. Matt and I came up with that premise. Uh, So where's my creator's fee per episode? And he went, Oh, yes, fair call, Kate. There's actually ended up being four creators... So there's $135 per episode for the creator. So if you could send me an invoice for 135 times 13 divided by 4 plus GST, that'd be great. So I wish I had saved that invoice book. I think the only reason we got any creator's royalties is because of your phone call, because it must have been not long after your phone call that we got called into Ross Jennings' office wow. and explained as creators, blah blah and, and the whole royalty thing. 
I think that they had gone, we haven't actually got the sign-off for the intellectual property. And I was still 17, right? So I'm not sure this is entirely legal. Ross, Ooh, good Ro- Ross rocks up to me and says, oh, hey, you know, we're just getting all the credits in order. We've got a check for you. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was $300. And I was like, yeah, oh, $300. On the next episode of the worst sitcom ever made, The Lucky Actors. So they do say casting is everything, and I think this is certainly a case of that. They dyed her hair. They tried to physically remake her, and this poor woman is flipping acting. The worst sitcom ever made is produced for RNZ by The Download Concept and Glynis Stewart. The studio engineer was Jeremy Veal. The coordinating producer for RNZ is Adam McCauley, and the executive producer is Tim Watkin. If you want to catch up on this or other episodes of the worst sitcom ever made, go to the podcast page at RNZ, or you can find it on most podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Play. And while you're there, you can check out other RNZ podcasts like the new series of Black Sheep, the worst sitcom ever made is presented by me, Jeff Halp. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.